Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they cancelled too soon? And welcome back to Cancel Too Soon. Is it too soon? Again. Yeah. This is the <laughs> podcast where we uh, review TV shows that lasted only one season or less here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. I write for The Rap. I write for Slash Film. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I contribute to Slash Film. Uh, hi. Hi. We uh, we said in the month of October when we did our Scary Tober uh-huh. uh, Cancel Too Soon series that we would be back and we'd be back sooner than you might expect. Uh, we actually didn't mean this soon. <laughs> uh, so here here's uh, what was going on. Uh, it's a new weekend. New films came out and we uh, were running behind. We were just busy. Yeah. We weren't able to make it to the screenings we wanted to. We didn't get make it to the movies that were out or even the ones that were on streaming just because we were busy. Very, yeah. You're still in the midst of moving. Yeah. I have a child I'm raising. It's just, you know, life got in the way this week. Yeah. Uh, but, as it so happens, we recorded our uh, Star Trek podcast. All our yesterdays. All our yesterdays. A which Patreon is, exclusive. Is Patreon exclusive. We've, we're just starting season five of Star Trek The Next Generation. If you subscribe, you can hear not just everything of Next Generation, but the original series and animated shows, as, animated series as well. One podcast uh, for every installment of Star yeah. Trek in a visual uh, moving medium. Yes. TV movies. We're not mm-hmm. doing like radio and books, but other no, than no. that. Uh, yeah, we've yeah. done the first five movies as well. Uh, and we were talking about... Uh, we, I you, you just sort of made a little uh, riff at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, you, you were know, like... This is like, all our yesterdays I'm introducing. We're going to do... Uh, it's devoted to the sci-fi series. And you kind of piped in, yes, Quark. Yeah. And Quark is the name of a Star Trek character, so it kind of threw me a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I made a really actually, bad joke. You were referring to a sitcom from 1977 that's called Quark. It's a sci-fi show with Richard Benjamin. Mm-hmm. And it's co-dir- and, it's uh, created by Buck Henry, who mm-hmm. had co-created Get Smart, and it was and, and attempting a to be celebrated the get- comedy screenwriter besides. Yeah, and, and it was attempting to be the Get Smart of like TV sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, we, we realized that I had made a little boo-boo. And we laughed, and we, we kind of, laughed. Yeah, kind of, kind of joshed ourselves a little bit at, at that little off-the-cuff riff. And then we realized that Quark had lasted only eight episodes, and somehow, after over 200, nearly 250 episodes uh-huh. of Cancel Too Soon, we never got around to Quark. We never got around to Quark. So we're like, shit. This, and and this, Quark's this... been around. It got a home video release. Oh, I yeah. think it was on VHS, but it got a home video release. It's got a cult following, and... Um, 
Yeah, we just fucked up, and we were like, we should we should just do Quark. Let's just do Quark. Like yeah. we, we got we decided we it yesterday. Multiple films, but like you you add up the time that Quark was on screen, it was like less than four hours. Yeah, it's like you know what we can squeeze that in mm-hmm. kind of easily and see Quark on the fly and tie it into the stupid joke that you made yeah. just a couple days ago. So, uh, so here the, we are. With so, the, yeah, here we are uh, covering Quark. Quark, the new spaced out outer space comedy series, is coming. If you love Star Wars, wait till you see Quark. Premiering Friday at 8, 7 Central and Mountain on NBC. It's actually annoying how difficult it is to find, like, a preview online of Quark. Oh. <laughs> I was able to find, like, the tiniest little snippet that's basically like, if you liked Star Wars, you should see Quark. And I'm like, maybe... Part of the thing with Star Wars is that it took itself really seriously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Quark is, it's a spoof, mm-hmm. but it's not what you might think of as like a, a Mel Brooks style spoof. It's not like slapsticky. Mm-hmm. There's a Although Mel Brooks co-created Get Smart and, and yeah. that had a slightly different vibe. What, these aren't airplane. No, you no, know? no. It's, these are... it's, it's not so broad. There's not a lot of, like, fourth wall-breaking humor. Uh, Richard Benjamin does address the camera multiple times. Mm-hmm. What he does is Captain's Log, what does he call it? Um, Captain's Note. Captain's Note. Or Star yeah. Note or something, yeah. Yeah, he, that's right, he says Star Note. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're actually... Buck Henry actually created uh, a sci-fi series mm-hmm. with jokes in it. Yeah. Rather than a spoof, which is kind of sending up sci-fi uh, tropes and, mm-hmm. and stories... But actually has, like, rules it still plays by. Yeah, it has its own little universe that it has created with its own characters, its Mm. own recurring, you know, species that keep coming back. And, uh, yeah, uh, but in general, it's it's definitely spoofing Star Trek. Several episodes spoof specific episodes of Star Trek. Mostly Star Trek, but yeah. There's a two-part episode that's very much a Flash Gordon riff. Mm. Uh, There's a two-part episode that is very much a Star Wars riff. Yeah. Uh, And then... The rest of them are mostly Star Trek. There's a little 2001 A Space Odyssey in there. Uh, It's interesting that there is this spoof show of sci-fi TV and movies. In the late 70s, we had not hit the peak of those yet. Yeah. There would be so much more. Alien hadn't even come out. (laughs) Like, that that was not in the pipe. That was not, they didn't have that option yet. Like, there's so much material that if this had come out five years later, ten years later, uh, it would have had so much more to work with. Uh, but as it stands, yeah, it's it's funny people in space. We, we did Space Force. Oh. On, uh, uh, it was a failed pilot starring Fred Willard, uh, which is of a similar piece. It, it, what if Star Trek was goofy? Yeah, well, and... Something I would compare Quark to is uh, if you've ever seen the Orville. Yeah. Um, the Orville is straight up like Star Trek: The Next Generation riff. Yeah. Like, like what if Star Trek: The Next Generation, but brighter lighting and kind of broader stories, and the characters cuss a little bit and make jokes. Yeah. But for the most part, it's actually just telling Star Trek like stories with these jokey characters. Yeah. And I feel that's what Quark is doing as well. It's actually has a sci-fi mythos, mm-hmm. it sticks to that pretty closely. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a pilot, so some of, like, some premises change, some yeah. characters change a little bit. And we'll talk about that. There's definitely, mm-hmm. like, you know, a, a major mm-hmm. shift occurred after the pilot, before the production, yeah. characters disappear. So th- this isn't like uh, that TV show, When Things Were Rotten, which was uh, 
if you've ever seen Robin Hood Men in Tights, all of those jokes started in a, a TV series from like 20 years earlier that mm-hmm. Mel Brooks did called When Things Were Rotten. It's like a Robin Hood slapstick farce. Yeah. So it's not a slapstick farce. It's like it's like the Orville. It's like mm-hmm. Red Dwarf. Um, it's a lot like Futurama. Uh, these shows that take place in a sci-fi universe with silly characters, but is still interested in telling interesting sci-fi stories while also sending up some of the more ridiculous things about Star Trek and modern sci-fi. I was just looking up when Star Trek came out. Now, oh, yeah. Um, Star Trek might be one of the earlier Star Trek spoofs. Hmm. Um, and it was put out by Bobby Pickett. You might know Bobby Pickett as the uh, the writer of the Monster Mash. Yeah. And when did that come out? It's 1975. Okay, so it predates us a little. So, a little yeah. bit, but yeah. sort of sending up Star Trek didn't really come into uh, its own until the mid-70s, when it started to become a real cultural phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't a huge hit when it was on the air. It no. wasn't until it was in syndication and in reruns that people started to discover it. People started to latch onto it, and it wasn't until the seventies that like conventions began, mm-hmm. and and lo, the phenomenon was born. But I really, I wouldn't even argue it even hit mainstream really until like Wrath of Khan mm-hmm. was like a huge blockbuster. So one of the one of the issues that Quark runs into is that it's a spoof of stuff that not a lot of people watched. It's yeah, so, it's a spoof of something a little bit obscure. So on one hand, you're catering to an audience that is relatively small to begin with. And on the other hand, that audience is taking that thing seriously and might not be in the mood to see it made fun of. Yeah. So it, it's tricky. It's not like when Get Smart came out. Get Smart was uh, sort of a sort of a cross between uh, James Bond and the Pink Panther, mm. where uh, you know the there's a super spy Maxwell Smart, uh, and he's the greatest spy in the world, even though he's kind of a fool he's, he's, he's a good spy but a buffoon yeah and um that those movies james bond was incredibly popular jacques clouseau was incredibly popular uh there was a whole lot of other spy shows on tv man from uncle uh get smart lasted over 150 episodes oh yeah it was a big hit it was a gigantic smash and i remember when I was, was watching it was spun off that's what inspector gadget is Basically, that, yeah, that it's was, a cartoon yeah, version was, of Get I, Smart. Yeah. I was a kid when that animated show came mm-hmm. out, so that was my entrance into Get Smart. Mm-hmm. I didn't see Get Smart when I was a kid. I watched Inspector Gadget. Yeah, which I mean, had... So wait, that's the, kind of the same character. Yeah, if he was a cyborg, but yeah, mm-hmm. basically. Like, what, what if Mag... I think his name was... His name was Gadget, but what was his yeah. first name? Inspector. Inspector I Gadget. I don't think... I don't remember him having a first name. Inspector Maxwell Gadget. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Get Smart was a huge smash hit. Uh, and the idea that, okay, so we've got, like, Star Wars has become pretty big, Star Trek is big in syndication, we're going to do this TV series with Buck Henry, who's, mm-hmm. you know, a good get. Uh, and it's going to star Richard Benjamin, who is also a good get oh, in the late a, 1970s. Yeah, he's a huge, huge comedy star at the time. Mm-hmm. Still alive, too, Richard Benjamin. Mm-hmm. He's in his 80s. Uh, but yeah, by this point, he had been in Westworld. Uh, he was a star of Westworld. He was in The Last of Sheila, which, you know, wasn't huge at the time, but now, like, ever since, like, uh, the Ryan Johnson whodunit thing has come out again, that's been heavily reevaluated. Uh, he was in The Sunshine Boys. He was, and he would, he would go on to direct quite a few, uh, memorable movies as well. He did a wonderful film called My Favorite Year, which is actually, like, 
a quasi-autobiographical story about Mel Brooks when he was working at the Sid Caesar show. Mm-hmm. Which, if you've never seen that movie, it, Peter O'Toole uh, plays uh, an alcoholic aging movie star. And it's about a, a young character based on Mel Brooks who is responsible for keeping him in check for a day. Because <laughs> he, he has to be on live TV. Aww. And we can't have him drunk at the time. And we can't have him making too much of a mess or getting into too much trouble. And of course he gets into glorious trouble. And it is delightful. It's one of my favorite films of its ilk. Um, so he also did My Stepmother as an Alien. Oh, did he direct that one? He directed yeah, My yeah. Stepmother is an Alien, starring oh, the, uh, Kim Basinger as my stepmother, who is an alien. That's right. Yeah. She had an, an additional alien in her purse. Yes. Which like is a, actually important. like an eyeball on a stalk. Yeah. Um, and the eyeball on a stalk is played by someone who is actually in this show. Okay. I, I was going to say, my, my introduction to Richard Benjamin was a TV broadcast of the movie Love at First Bite, oh, with yeah. George Hamilton as Dracula, and yes. he's like the... the bumbling Van Helsing character in modern day who tracks him down. Yeah. Uh, so the premise of Quark is uh, it's the future. Um, it's 2226, I think. Yeah. And mankind has long ago abandoned Earth and most of it takes place on a space station called Perma-1. Uh, and on this space station, which is run by a man named Otto Palindrome. <laughs> Otto is a palindrome. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, uh, they, they call him Palindrome. Yeah, it's they don't call attention yeah. to it. Uh, he's he's like a middle management guy. He's working for a guy called the Head. Mm. And whenever we see him, we never see him in person. He's only on a screen in a black void, and his head is just gigantic. It's like a yeah. normal head, huge brain. Is basically floating in a black space, yeah. and he gives everyone their uh, super unconvincing makeup. It's oh, not yeah. good. Yeah, uh, and uh, every episode he gives out uh, assignments, and every episode our hero Quark, played by Richard Benjamin, gets Ad- the shittiest Adam, assignment. Yeah, Adam Quark. Yeah, he gets the shittiest assignment every single time, and he drives a garbage truck. Yeah, at the in the first episode, he drives a garbage truck. And that's his job. He just does garbage. And in the first episode, and we'll go through it episode by episode because there's only eight of them. Um, in the first episode, he saves the day. And they're like, okay, great. Yeah, no, we'll give you better, you know, more important assignments than garbage. You will still also do the garbage. And so we will mm. not give you a better ship. Also, you will be stuck with your uh, uh, crew of lovable losers. Yeah, uh, the crew of lovable losers uh, are some, some creative characters here. I like yeah, them. Actually. They, they, um, think it, they think it out. There's uh, there's characters named Betty and Betty, mm-hmm. played by uh, Patricia and Sib Barnstable. They are twins in real life. In the show, uh, they're clones, but no, one of them is the original. One of them is a clone, and no, and even they can't agree which is which. No, they refuse to admit which one of them is a clone. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are both in love with Quark, but he's hasn't figured out polyamory yet. That's not a thing in the future, I guess. Well, and so he's, he's he's a little uncomfortable with being wooed by both of them, but he is interested in one of them, and he, he doesn't know which. He said, like, I'm interested in them, but you would think, like, okay, we're going to have these two comely twins, and they're all mm. going to be, like, all pawing at our hero at all times. It's actually not, like, presented in a really lascivious way. Yeah. Like, he's... he's It, it doesn't feel like a porno fantasy, is my point. Not really, no. Like, it's, it's, it has that setup, but it's it's never presented that it's way. It's actually more inconvenient than anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's... Uh, in the first episode, there is a character uh, named Dr. O.B. Mudd, 
played by Douglas Fowley, and he's a uh, he's like the it's mad a, scientist. I thought he was the engineer. He's like the, the grizzled old engineer guy. He's a he's he's the tech guy. Mm. He's built a robot uh, that's named Andy. It's uh, Andy is played by Bobby Porter. I, uh, I love the boxy robot. Andy. The, bo- the robot's it's such a fun. good design. Like yeah. it's. It, it, it looks like a Halloween costume, but in a, like a really good Halloween it, costume. It, it looks like a really, really, really cheap knockoff of Robbie the Robot. Yeah. Where everything is like refrigerator box, refrigerator box. But we put some diodes in like a box on the top head. So like it a, looks... Like a, a and, really, they, and they light up. A really you know? resourceful high school kid could put that together. Yeah, it's really... And, and, and I just love that look. Just yeah. That kind of homemade look to the robot. Uh... Then uh, there's the then the other member of the main crew is Gene, uh-huh. and Gene is played by Tim Thomerson, who is just one of my favorite actors of his a ilk. Wonderful character actor yeah. and comedian. He's he can, been in everything. We we run into him before. He was in the pilot episode of The Flash. He was the Flash's brother who died in the line of duty. Uh, Tim Thomerson is a wonderfully malleable actor. He can play a really, really tough guy. He can play a really, really funny guy. He can do them both. And in this case, he is doing them both because he is... And this is... This is weirdly progressive. It's progressive <laughs> and yet not. Like, but it's, it's, well, it's, it's an it's, interesting historical footnote. It's 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 written as essentially like a gay panic or femme panic joke. Mm. Initially. Initially. And dies in, out. in the first episode, it's presented kind of taste, tastelessly. Yeah, it was really but not, not happy. after it. that, it turns into something weirdly tasteful. Yeah. Or yeah. at least notable. Uh, yeah. Because... He has... Uh, he's, he's, his character is... Uh, his character is a transmute. They call them if, a transmute. As yeah. if he's... The, what exactly that's short for doesn't matter. Uh, mm. And the idea is uh, his character has... Uh, uh, the um, the chromosomes, the chromosomes of uh, male and female chromosomes, uh, and how that plays out, you know, that that could just play out as oh, and they're non-binary mm-hmm. or they have, they're, there's a whole different ways we would see that today that would yeah, just that... be real. And here it's he's two like sort of competing personalities, mm. uh, one who is very very macho and one who is. Uh, more caring and effeminate, mm. and when he is more caring and, 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 f- and female and female, like and like specifically female, he's credited as Gene G E N E and Gene J E A N, yeah, Gene Gene. Uh, and it's when he is playing Gene with a J. Mm. In the pilot episode, Tim Thomerson is just taking on a somewhat more effeminate voice. Yeah, uh, after and, and, the and does episode. a lot of like kind of offensive fem- mm-hmm. like kind of queer limp-wristed stereotype yeah it, it, it's not funny in the, it's not the first funny episode. no it's not classy uh, and then after that after that first episode uh, whenever he is Gene with a J uh, their voiceover is done by Anne Prentice mm. who uh, did a lot of voice work and also and some acting as well and, and Anne was... Prentice was the voice of the handbag in My Stepmother Was an Alien uh, I think um, Anne Prentice is also Richard Benjamin's sister-in-law mm, because he he was married to Paula Prentice. Oh, that makes and sense. I think is still married to Paula Prentice. Oh, like, well, that, that makes since sense. Since the '60s, so she had an in. Yeah, there you go. Um, so yeah, so, so yeah, that when, in, so the, in, when, in the so pilot, so when yeah. male Gene is presenting, mm-hmm. and male Gene is like toxically masculine, like, yeah, like resents being called wimpy and mm-hmm. like it's really strong and like. He jo- has a deep voice, like thrusts his chest out yeah. a lot. Whenever there's um, action or adventure, he's like, "I'm going to go kill the bad guys," and he's all violence all the time. And it's it's not a very mature character. Uh, but whenever he's 
Gene. Gene with a J. Yeah. He's thoughtful, understanding. I'm sorry, she's thoughtful, she, yeah, understanding. She, she, she's very, like, yeah. very gentle, caring, uh, not like an officer at all. Like, yeah. becomes very humane. Yeah. And this character, sadly, isn't, like, doesn't get their own episode. They're not yeah. literally explored very deeply. But I and the implication is that they're not like unique. That there, that there's like a whole. There's, yeah, that, that yeah. there's a, a lot of transmutes out there in in the world. Yeah. Um, but after that first episode, mm-hmm. it's never presented as something that makes anybody uncomfortable. Yeah. It's never presented as a gag. Not really. Uh, no. Like it's it's kind of written that way, but it's also just this kind of sci-fi matter of factness about this essentially gender fluid character who is yeah. alternately male and female. The only character who has a real problem uh-huh. with Gene is uh, Dr. Mudd. And they're yeah, out after the first episode. Shows up and, yeah, yeah, like, he, I don't like those trans mutants. Yeah, he's girl. an asshole. But, and then, to, and but then, then Quark says, but there's a... But you work with one. There's a lot of them out there. No, he doesn't say that. He's like, but they're a human being. And yeah, there's nothing... Um, you know, they're, they're a sentient yeah. being. They're, it's because aliens. But like... You know, they're they're an individual. They have rights. They're you know they they should be treated like equals. And then he the other guy says something intolerant again, and that's the joke. The pilot episode is not balanced very well. No. But yeah, it's not it's not quite so bad. We this is the second time we've run into an unexpectedly semi progressive mm. uh, bit of trans representation in forgotten television that people yeah. don't talk about very often. And the first one was the last precinct, which, which came a, almost a decade after this. Cause mm-hmm. that was like 86 or something. Yeah. And there that was, was, yeah, there was a, and there was just an, uh, an upright trans character in that. Yeah. Show, played and, by a cis woman, but yeah, played, there was yeah. a, the, the last precinct, if you haven't listened to that episode, was basically Police Academy, the show, before we had Police Academy, the show, which was a real yeah. thing. Start Adam West. Yeah, Adam West was the captain of this police precinct. He had a bunch of ne'er-do-wells. Ernie Hudson starred in it. Uh, and uh, one of the characters was a trans woman. Uh, and it was never the subject of mockery. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, they're, they're, the fact like- that they were incredibly sexy as mm-hmm. a trans woman is utilized as a plot point they're mm-hmm. like you know but it's not in it but not in a negative way like they're just treated like one of the group it's just unexpectedly yeah, cool there, there was yeah. there was one episode where uh there's actually some really acidic dialogue directed at the trans character mm-hmm. but it's the way they frame up the shot the director was really wise to do this because mm. that character who's saying those things is in the background of the shot mm. and uh the trans character is like looking at looking at him in the background mm-hmm. and feeling like kind of wounded but a little bit more tired it's like this again and then everybody in the foreground there's like several characters are all looking at him and they're all rolling their eyes they're not letting him get away with that the show is saying that this is intolerant and again there's a a long way to go for representation there's a lot to be but better than you might expect for the time to have that in 1986 was great and to have this in 1977 weirdly forward thinking. Yeah, again, I don't want to give them too much credit because they're not all the way there, but compared to a lot of the other representation at the time, not bad. Yeah, they they could have easily turned this character mm-hmm. into, like, an offensive joke. Yeah. And and they didn't. No, yeah. and Tim Thomerson plays the character mm-hmm. quite well, overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's another character, after Mud is written out of the pilot, uh, mm-hmm. he's replaced with a new character. Spock. <laughs> Basically Spock. Spock. It's their version of Spock. Mm-hmm. Someone Someone gave them the note, and it's a good note, you don't have a Spock. And they were, and they're right. We didn't have a Spock. Yeah. We should have a Spock. And, and, and so, it was such a smart move. Yeah. And it's it, such a good character, balances 
yeah. bombs out the whole show. Uh, the character's name is Ficus, Ficus. Pandorata, uh, played by an actor named Richard Kelton, who we'll get to in a second. And the whole thing with Ficus is they're a plant. Mm. They look human, but they're a plant. And they... It's not that they're logical, it's just that they don't think like humans... Like, Spock was pure logic because Spock chose to be pure logic. Uh... He's a plant. He doesn't Fic- care Fic- about yeah, the Fic- stuff you care about. Ficus, and, and he's not painted green. He doesn't have yeah. leaves. Uh, this boy could be made of leaves. We can make pencils of leaves. Um, <laughs> I could only think of the odd life of Timothy Green. But, You're right. Uh, I hadn't thought about that, actually. But, yeah, he, he just looks like a person. Uh, yeah. he just look, They don't put any special makeup on him. Yeah. Uh, he, but he just evolved into this humanoid from a plant. So he's yeah. made of plant matter. There's some, most of the jokes about the plant character, about Ficus, mm-hmm. are that he is cold and logical and doesn't process emotions or scenarios the same way that the animals around him do. Mm-hmm. do. Uh, only occasionally do they have him do, like, funny plant stuff. Mm. There's a great bit later on where we find mm-hmm. out, like, how the species on his planet mm-hmm. reproduce. Th- this is, that made me laugh. It, it's one of the funniest bits in the show. Um, yeah. I, I'll, we'll get I'll just, to it. We'll get to it. Can, can we just do it now? Okay, we'll do it now. There's a, bit, there's a bit in a later episode where uh, there is an evil emperor and his daughter, Princess Libido, Princess Libido. <laughs> uh, is in love with Ficus. And in order to save the day, they have to convince Ficus to like... Seduce her. her yeah. let, seduce her or let her seduce you. And Ficus is just like, I don't know what to do. And so they give him like a crash course in, in human... Seduction techniques, yeah. and um, when she finally gets him alone, she's like, she tries to like, you know, k- k- kiss, kiss him, him, and he's yeah. like, oh, that doesn't really do it for me. And she's like, well, how does your species do it? And he's like, okay, well, he gets down on the floor, he puts his feet and his hands in the air, straight up in the air, and he goes, and she goes, she does that too, and then she says, okay, what now? And then he's like, and then we wait for the bee. <laughs> Which I really didn't see coming. I don't know how it was. They played totally fair. He was calling the bee, 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 bee. And then, just, and then we wait for the bee. We wait for the bee. That's good. That, yeah, that's that was a good joke. Yeah. But uh, they, they came up with a way to do a spot character without just doing a spot character. Like yeah. he had his own reason to be that character. And honestly, when you consider that Star Trek in particular, uh, a lot of that show is about like sort of. What it means to be human and doing that from sort of like an outside perspective. There's an old joke on Taxi that Andy Kaufman's character had where he went to uh, Danny DeVito's character and said, Hey, what do you think of the human race? I'm looking for an outsider's perspective. <laughs> this is true. a great insult. Uh, and, uh, but that's kind of what Star Trek was about. Where it's like, what happens if like we sort of heighten one aspect of humanity or we remove one aspect that we take for granted in humanity? And then we just sort of have someone with that perspective commenting on us what if someone's values are all that different and really that's just fictional multiculturalism but yeah. you, you do want to come up with interesting characters and star trek you know doesn't always nail it but they've come up with interesting characters over the years who had an outsider's perspective did something interesting and to quark's credit clones mm-hmm. I haven't seen that on star trek just a couple of clones just hanging, just hanging out, out yeah. yeah that that's different uh plant character being a main character not really a thing. Not a lot of plant characters mm. in Star Trek at all, really. Uh, except for the Philosians in that one animated series episode with the giant Spock. That's true. Pretty rare. Mm. Pretty rare. Uh, and um, and then, yeah, uh, we, we've had characters in Star Trek that have had 
sort of allegorical approaches to human sexuality. Mm. Uh, there's the characters. We actually haven't gotten to this episode yet in Star Trek Next Generation, but there's like a, a the whole... Non-binary species. Yeah, there's a whole non-binary species, and there's a character who will actually sort of question their gender identity. Mm. Uh, and then uh, there's uh, the Trill, who whenever they die, they might be reborn into a person who identifies as a different gender, mm. or non-binary, which happens as well. Um that's toyed with as well. Uh, the way that it's handled in Quark, I think if you tried to start doing that today, it would be considered at best clunky. But uh, <laughs> I, really, it's just like, no, because that, that's an actual thing. Yeah. <laughs> and it wouldn't play out like that. But it's at least an attempt to sort of talk about... Um, that, well, that's, it, yeah. it, it's it's spoofing a lot of the stories and the tropes of Star Trek, yeah, but it's I mean. actually not spoofing the ideas behind Star Trek. That multiculturalism, yeah. the uh, the order of of sort of like this organization, it's a little bit strange in Quark. Mm-hmm. But and it doesn't it's, always it's, work, and it doesn't always work. Just like it doesn't always work in Star Trek. And uh, and of course, the joke of Quark is uh, at, at the beginning of every episode, they go to uh, what was the name of the station? Um, Perma One. Perma One. He goes over to Perma One, which looks like a big. Uh, Ice cream sandwich, and uh, he uh, the Richard Benjamin character always goes in to receive his orders from the head, mm-hmm. uh, and there's like two other captains there, mm-hmm. and the two other captains are like Captain Kirk's, well, or, there's or, or Janeway's, like they're really kind of heroic and they get really cool assignments. And there's, and there's a lot of multiculturalism there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of women of color mm-hmm. who are uh, uh, captains, which again, Star Trek wouldn't have a female until the, captain until the nineties. Yeah. yeah. Nonsense. In fact, in the oh, no, 60s... I guess, I guess Rachel Garrett. Uh, yeah, in, Rachel in Garrett. Year. But I, that was also those 90, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. it was 90. It would, it would be decades before Star Trek would get that progressive. One little detail I noticed, and I don't know if you noticed this, but um, in almost every episode, or, or every episode possibly, I didn't. I, I only noticed it after a couple of times, one of the captains is named Captain Estro. Oh, I didn't get Every that time. Like it's just a completely <laughs> different person. I don't know what's like a really extended family or something like that, but they always have the same name. Oh, I didn't notice. And yeah, they get a cool assignment. They get a cool assignment. Usually Quark gets a crap assignment. Hmm. Once in a while he gets a good assignment, but it's, which turns but it, out to be a crap yeah, it's, assignment. It's secretly a crap assignment. It's basically Futurama. Good news, everybody. Yeah, yeah. So that that's the joke. The organization is still there, but it's essentially making the joke that Lower Decks is making. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, 40 years beforehand. Yeah. The idea that, yes, there's this really vaunted uh, peacekeeping organization in the galaxy. Someone still has to but, do the crappy but job. But they're, gar- they're still literally garbage men. Yeah. And that's what Cork is. And yeah, the, one of, the first shot we get of the series is him like, and this is a cute visual. When a spaceship dumps its garbage, it's in like a traditional plastic garbage bag. Uh-huh. Just a really huge one. Yeah. And to pick it up, they have to like f- very carefully scoop it up in the front of their like uh, garbage scooper. Uh, oh, and one other character who only shows up twice in the first episode and the last episode is uh, Quark's pet, Ergo. He's oh, like, yeah. like a plasmoid. It's like this kind of like giant, like yeah, a it's... large amoeba type creature. Uh, and I feel like that was probably inspired by John Carpenter's Dark Star. It has that vibe to it. Yeah, yeah. the beach ball. Very, thing. very low budget. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. in the first episode, uh, Ergo? Ergo. Ergo. Ergo is like a, a clear blob of like glop, mm-hmm. and then in the last episode, it looks more like the green brain slugs from Futurama. Like it had a big, it's green and a big eye yeah. on it. Uh, which, for all I know, that's perfectly normal. That's like shedding but, yeah. season. It gets <laughs> it gets green in, in the autumn. I don't know. Um, 
So yeah, that's the basic gist of it. Uh, let's talk about uh, the individual episodes. The pilot, uh, which is just called Quark. Um, there's a we we meet Quark. We meet his crew. He dreams of better things, mm. uh, but uh, they're a bunch of lovable losers. And we find out in Perma One that there is a giant space cloud that is devouring uh, everything. Yeah, it's like path. enzymes that's digesting yeah. everything. And, and th- this is prior to Star Trek: The Motion Picture, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah. So so the giant the giant space cloud drifting slowly towards mm, Earth. Mm. They don't they they don't ever visit Earth, by the way. It's no, a completely space bound show. The implication is that the Earth is uninhabitable. Yeah. Um, and while everyone on Perma One panics, mm-hmm. uh, Palindrome and the Head uh, realize that the only ship in range to do anything about this before it destroys the entire Galactic Federation, whatever it's called, um, is Quark's ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they need to send a message to Quark's ship, and what they need to do is they need to go into the middle of this nebula and detonate their core and yeah. kill them all. And so they need to send them on uh, uh, a mission where they're all going to die. And they send, they write the communique, and then they realize that, well, capitalism still exists in this future. And, uh, long, it's expensive. Long-range subspace communications, they charge by the word. <laughs> so they need to start... Cutting things down. Well, we don't. We can lose this adjective, and I suppose saying "good luck" at the end is a little, uh, a little ironic. We can probably cut that. <laughs> so they, half the episode is just them cutting down mm. this communique. Meanwhile, Quark and his crew randomly run across it, and they decide that they're just going to feed it all their garbage, which okay. they have in abundance. Well, they're, they're going to flee. Well, it's, it's an accident. Yeah, they're going to flee, and um, the robot Aunt Andy. Yeah. Uh, has fallen in love with a piece of equipment. Yeah. It's not an actual robot. Just, you know, isn't that cute? The robot falls in love with it. It's like, it's like falling in love with a water cooler, basically. Yeah. And in the process, he, like, hugs it and pulls it from a wall, and that releases all the garbage. You're right, it is an accident. Mm. Uh, and, but, that, but the but garbage that... makes this cloud, like, kind of choke and get poisoned. No, no, it doesn't get choked. It just, it, uh, it, it moves. Well, that's right, it just moves away. Yeah, it, like, it, like, it's full, and it just goes in a different direction. And that's it. And everyone's kind of impressed by Quark. Not so much that they'll promote him or his crew mm. or give him a better ship or anything, but they'll just like, oh, we'll keep our eye on this Quark guy. <laughs> uh, and that's basically the first episode. The ship is kind of fun. I like that there's, um, you know, in Star Trek we have Jeffrey's Tubes, where there's like this interconnecting mm. series of shafts yeah. between uh, various uh, decks, and it's, uh, you know, ladders and tubes. Um in Quark, they have slides. They like jump yeah. into like a slide and they slide down to like the the mess hall. And yeah. like that sounds fun. Which is, you know, I bet that was fun. That, to, to and be that's upset, also on you know? like actual space shuttles. They have like tubes like that. Yeah, I know. It's like I, they, it's fun though. Um, Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. So yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's the pilot episode right there. The second episode, and this is the basically the second pilot. 
in, in fact, it's an hour long, mm-hmm. uh, and I like this pilot way better. And and it actually aired a year later. The pilot episode of Quark aired on May seventh, nineteen seventy seven, uh, and the the second pilot, the new pilot with the mm-hmm. new cast, the new tone, a slightly different set. Uh, called Fo- following Star Trek again, mm-hmm. which did the same thing. Yeah, but also following Star Wars because this one's called May the Source Be With You, and this one aired. Uh, nearly a year later, February twenty fourth, nineteen seventy eight, uh, and this is a like forty eight minute, like hour long event. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this episode, uh, Quark is given an assignment from the head. Uh, the Gorgons are their arch nemeses, mm-hmm. which sounds like Klingons. Yep, very purposefully, but they dress like Darth Vader's. Yeah, they dress in like you know black stormtrooper outfits, and the main bad guy uh, who has like one of those like cool detachable hands, like in mm-hmm. Enter the Dragon. Uh, and he's got a big... It's not a Darth Vader helmet. It's a Dark Helmet helmet. It's like yeah. a way too big Darth Vader helmet. Uh, and he's played by Henry Silva, <laughs> who's a good get. If you don't I'm know not Henry's, sure if he's a good get. He, he, he's a good he, get. He'd do anything. He's a good, but he's good, though. He is good. Like, he's funny. Yeah. He can play it serious. He was doing a lot of really great Italian crime movies around this time. Uh, and you it, maybe younger audiences might know him. He was the voice of Bane on Batman the Animated Series. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. He was great. Um, he died only a few years ago. Great actor. I love Henry Silva. Uh, so he plays the main bad guy, the Darth Vader of the piece. Uh, and Richard Benjamin is given a special weapon. Everyone else is like, okay, you're going to evacuate this planet. You're going to uh, do all this. And, uh, hey, Quark, I want you to take your garbage scow and defeat the Gorgons. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're just going to do that. You have what? to find, yeah, find this weapon. F- yeah. Find this weapon and use it to kill the Gorgons. And there's a, the secret weapon. It's called the Source. Hmm. And it's in, like, a mysterious container. And when he gets onto a ship and he opens it, there's nothing in there. And hmm. they're like, did we just get screwed? What happened here? And then they all start hearing the voice of Hans Conry. <laughs> Captain Hook. Yes. From the from the uh, Disney Peter Pan, wonderful voice actor. One of the great voice actors. And he was the bad guy in an animated series we did. Oh, it was um, uh, um, the Drack Pack. That's right. He was the bad guy in the Drack Pack. <laughs> oh God, that was that <laughs> one was a chore, man. That's one of the worst shows we ever did. That, oh, that, oh, I'm getting like Han- Hanna Barbera sucks. I'm, I'm, yes. gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna reiterate that yeah. in case we hadn't said it on a podcast like if, recently. If there's a Hanna Barbera classic show you liked, there's a reason why you remember that show and not their other 800 shows, because so many of them were just shit, just absolute like aggressive shit, really <coughs> oh my bad God. ideas. Like it, I, even Scooby Doo is bad, man. Every time we've done a Hanna Barbera show on Cancel Too Soon, it has been like pulling teeth. The only time I kind of had fun just because it was such a ridiculous uh, show and I watched it as a kid and I had some fun memories was The Thing. Oh, what Thing Ring Do Your Thing. Yeah, yeah. The Thing had his own, if you don't remember this episode that of Cancel Too the Soon. That is The Thing from Fantastic Four, the big yeah. rock guy. Uh, the, you know, the big rocky guy from Fantastic Four played by Michael Chiklis and uh, then later Jamie Bell in the movies. Rare role that can be played by both actors. Um, he was separate from the Fantastic Four and it's a story about a lanky teenager, gangly kid, and whenever that kid saw sort of crime being committed, he would take two magic rings, he had them one on each hand, and he would shove them together, and he would say, Thing ring, do your thing! And then rocks would fly onto his body from another dimension, and then all of a sudden he was a 40-year-old Jewish Brooklynite <laughs> smoking a cigar and, like, fighting bad guys. Like he, he turned into a... A different guy. A different guy, yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, there's one episode where they mention that that's not right. <laughs> that, like, the thing was a different guy, and that maybe this teenager, like, never really existed. And it, it explaining it made it worse. <laughs> it was so bad. But it was such nonsense, I couldn't help but be kind of amused by it. Yes, oh. thank you, motorcycle guy outside the window. Um, so, anyway, Hannah Barbera. Well, but Hans Conrad is wonderful. And Hans Conrad says a whole bunch of, like, you know, like that, that bit at the end of Star Wars where mm-hmm. Obi-Wan Kenobi says, Use the false Luke. The false mm-hmm. will be with you, always. <laughs> All these, like, really reassuring things. Because in the Beatles. Yeah. The false will be with you, always. Okay, well, <laughs> I never realized how much Alec Guinness actually sounded like he was in the Beatles, but yeah, sure. Um, when Hans Conrad does it, it's briefly inspiring. It's like, as long as you believe in the source, mm-hmm. you will be unstoppable. But uh, the source keeps fucking up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it keeps making mistakes. Like, yes, we need to go to, like, uh, 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 Docking Bay 7. That will lead us right to the warp, the, to the core that we can detonate. They get there. Oh, was it Docking Bay 4? Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. That's, like, half a mile away. Yeah. And Hans Conried is so good. It's, like, so it's, just, it's just a voice performance. Yeah. I wish there were some sort of, like, visual effects they could have added. Yeah. Uh, it's too cheap a show to do that kind of thing. Show, but yeah, it's, he's just wonderful. And or or he, just have him on camera. Just like Richard Benjamin's the only one who can see him. That would do be funny too. But uh, no, they, they, they don't. I mean, it's possible, it, it, it it's possible up, they just got him later. Yeah, as, as he's working his way through the Gorgon headquarters, he, he's blind at one point. I, yeah. I forgot how that happened. If something happens, there's like a... The, the, the source says, I'm going to do a thing, and then the thing doesn't do good. Mm. And then Richard Benjamin loses his vision for a while. And he has to trust the source. And the source just keeps fucking up and making everything worse constantly. And then Henry Silva... Finds out they've got the source, and it was like, oh, "Are you worried about the source, sir?" No, the source is only dangerous to whoever is wielding it. Yeah. <laughs> like he knows it's a terrible, <laughs> terrible thing. Oh my god. Um, so yeah, it's it's basically they're on the Death Star. They fight their way out. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think if there's even any. Which... Oh, oh, and there's one other weird detail that they changed here, and I guess it's just because they got rid of Doctor Mud, uh, where they say that Quark built Andy the robot. And yeah. they reiterate that a couple of times, just to like. I think sort they, of, they said it again later in the they series. They do, but which yeah. is weird. And and Andy goes from being an amorous robot to being an an aggressively cowardly yeah. robot. Yeah, I like the, I like new, the cowardly robot better. It's funnier. it makes more sense, and yeah. it's it's also more you, you can get more out of it. Hmm. Honestly, it's just basically he just has no desire to help. Doesn't want to be useful in any way. He wants to stay on the ship. He just doesn't want to assist in any capacity. And yeah, it's pretty funny. Um. At the end, uh, you know, they defeat the bad guys, the ship blows up, and Quark goes to the head in Palindrome, and the head offers him, like, a flagship. Yeah. You can be the captain of, like, the Enterprise, Uh, and he's like, well, uh, I refuse to go, I refuse to be promoted without my crew. Yeah. And the head says, very well. No promotion. Yeah. No promotion. And he's like, no, wait. It's like, no, no, that's it. You're good. You we, you turned it down. Never mind. And now he's stuck in the garbage cow forever. And he's leaving. It's like, that's not how that's supposed to... You're supposed to say, oh, how nice. And Palantro's like, yeah, it was really, really nice of you. Terrible for your career, but it's one of the nicest things <laughs> I've ever seen anyone do. And then that's that, basically. And he was like, I couldn't... They could have come later. I could have... Just threw his career down the toilet. It's really quite funny. Um... The next episode is called The Old and the Beautiful. 
And this is one of the times where he actually gets a good assignment, yeah. but it, it goes really, really bad because they he, say, okay, he you're going to... hobnob with a, a, a beautiful princess. <laughs> they literally say, you're going to have... Your assignment is an extended romantic interlude with a princess. <laughs> and he's like, yes! And so he's very, very excited. And then along the way, as they're flying towards the, the interlude with the princess, uh, he contracts a space virus and it he starts rapidly aging him, which has happened on a few episodes of Star Trek as well. Um... And he's concerned because the space princess he's supposed to woo is, like, from a particularly amorous species. Like, the men on their planet don't live past 25 because of all the aggressive sex. Uh, so he's <laughs> so, like... So he's, she's never seen anybody his age. And he's worried he won't be able to do anything. He won't yeah. be able to function. And so they're just trying to cure him, trying everything to cure him. Turns out Gene is incredibly, like, germaphobic. Uh, and just is terrified of getting an illness, even though they flat out say, your species cannot get this virus. But they're just like, ah, I don't want to touch them. I don't want to go anywhere near them. Um, that's basically the whole episode, Richard Benjamin ages, and it's supposed to be kind of funny. There's a recurring gag that starts around here where uh, almost every episode... Um, Richard Benjamin, because of the events of the episode or because of his principles, uh, they encounter they encounter some kind of like dangerous moment, mm. and Tim Thomerson tries to pull rank like Starscream and Transformers. He's just like, <laughs> "I'm the leader now." Yeah. He's just like, "Yeah, no, I'm, I I can't trust you. I'm you're no longer the captain. I'm the captain." And he's like, "Shut up." Gene's like, "Fine." Um, <laughs> uh, oh, and uh, one of the handmaidens in this episode, Kirstie Alley. Oh, I didn't recognize her. Yeah, he's barely, barely in it. No lines. Oh, okay. Kirstie Alley. Boom. There you go. Star Trek. Hmm. You'd eventually play uh, Savick. Before, yeah, before yeah. Uh, uh, Wrath of Khan. Yeah, nice. Uh, the next episode is called The Good, The Bad, and The Ficus, uh, and this is the Mirror Mirror episode. Oh, did, did you mention that he's aging? It did, and then and then he and he's no, he he did. He's aging the whole no, he's aging the whole episode, and then uh, it turns out um, and he gets older and older, and he's like puts on an old man voice. Not Richard Benjamin's brand of comedy. He doesn't play an old man very well. No, he plays like comedy old man. And at the end of the episode, it turns out rigorous sexual activity neutralizes the virus, and they're fine. Mm. Uh, in fact, he says, okay, this has almost neutralized the virus. There's just You can do one of two things, and it'll kill the virus in you forever. One, you can have a week-long sexual encounter, and both of the Bettys are like, ooh! <laughs> or I can... Give I can, a shot that'll get rid of it in 25 seconds. And I just yeah. did that just now. The Bettys are like, damn it. <laughs> um, so yeah, the next one's called The Good, The Bad, and The Ficus. And in The Good, The Bad, and The Ficus, they are... Uh, they get sucked into a black hole, and this splits them into their good selves and their evil selves. Yeah. Uh, the best joke of this is that ficus just becomes another ficus, because mm. plants aren't good or evil, they're just plants. Right. So both the ficuses are just normal guys. But evil Richard Benjamin, evil Bettys, evil Gene, uh, it, they're going to, like... like The evil Richard Benjamin, like, destroys some spaceships, and then Jeffrey Lewis... Has a great cameo uh, as a, uh, a a rival captain who wants to kill Quark because uh -huh. then Quark has become a bad guy. Uh, so Quark is now on the run from his own people, and he's trying to stop the evil version of himself. And it turns into Arena, where there are two Richard Benjamins trying to kill each other on like a desert planet. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, that's basically the episode, isn't it? I wish there were, um, in, in moments like that where they're clearly sending up individual episodes of Star Trek, Yeah, that they sort of pointed out flaws in Star Trek a little bit better. They're yeah. like, wow, isn't it amazing that this planet looks exactly like Vasquez Rocks on California, mm-hmm. something like that. Something like that. Just you know, nice. p- point out something about Star Trek. They don't do that. Mm-hmm. They just sort of repeat the story in a silly way. Yeah. Which, you know, fine. Sure. Might might have hit a little <laughs> harder, though, if you kind of are... are poking a little bit more deliberate fun. There, there's two recurring gags in this episode, and one of them is that uh, Ficus has like a metal thing in his ear, like a really big metal thing in his ear, and everyone always asks him why that's in there, and every time he's about to respond, something interrupts them. Yeah. <laughs> and then it turns out it's just some plant thing. Hmm. Uh, but the one I liked and that actually made me laugh is that every time something like bad happened, like, you know, if like the Enterprise was being sucked into a black hole, hmm. <clears throat> Kirk or Picard would or even Archer would, you know, say something rousing or do something immediately, uh, you know, try to save the day, try to save the ship. Richard Benjamin's response is, but I don't want to get sucked into a black hole. (laughs) (laughs) And this comes up a few times, but I don't want to get sucked. I don't want to. And I'm like, yeah, I I wouldn't either. I'm actually very sympathetic. Um, The next episode is called Goodbye Palumbus. Uh, which is it's a, a shore leave. Yeah, space. it's a shore yeah. leave episode. If you remember on Star Trek, there was the original Star Trek. There was an episode where they landed on a mysterious planet where a whole bunch of very strange things started happening. And it turns out without realizing it, they landed on like this like resort planet where all of your fantasies come true thanks to like holograms and robots and shit. Mm. Uh, and sca- this machine scans your brain, manifests yeah. whatever you're thinking of. Like, so imagine, if you will, that like it's uh, a thousand years in the future, and someone lands in like on Earth in like this one weird park in Anaheim, and they have no context. They just know that there are rats and pants, like just wandering around this place. Uh, we would know the explanation for that. They'd be weirded out, and that was uh, surely. Um, here, it's a little bit more complicated. They're going to a planet where no one has ever come back alive, and their their whole mission is to find out find why no lot, one's ever yeah. find out why no one's ever come back alive. And he's like, "Oh, so this is a mission from which you don't expect us to ever return?" Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they go to the planet, and they turns out everyone who's ever missing is there, and they're just making out with people, yes, just constantly, uh, and everyone of their crew starts making out with people and it isn't until gene shows up and gene isn't interested in making out gene is interested in an adventure mm. and characters from their favorite comic book come to life like the well, bad guys that he gets well, to fight the, the bad guys i think are gorgons aren't they no no and, no, and then no. the and then the good guys like a superhero the good guy is superhero the bad guy is not bad guys aren't gorgons they're like special unique bad guys ah oh, like right. the 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 kelvian centurions or something right. like that um but yeah, they don't exist. And when Gene is knocked out in battle, they disappear. And that's what Richard Benjamin realizes. Oh, this isn't the girl that I fell in love with in college who left me for another guy. This is a fiction. This is a figment of my imagination. Yeah. I need to ignore this, and I need to find whatever is doing this, and I need to destroy it. And he does. At which yeah, point, it's, and it's a big obelisk that he yeah. shoots, and it explodes. At which point, his girlfriend. Uh, turns into a woman made, made of, of clay, clay yeah. but they just clearly just smeared clay gray stuff on, an actress, on, a, on yeah. an actress. And, um, and she says, uh, yeah, we, we are a shape-changing species. We're clay people. Uh, and uh, the Gorgons 
conquered us and used this technology to force us to basically apprehend willingly mm. everyone who comes by and then steal all their information for the Gorgons. You're the only person who's ever resisted it. Uh, thank you. And he's like, oh, yeah, great. Um, you're my, so I'm, the, I'm the only one who doesn't get to make out and stuff. They're like, yeah. No, no, she says, <laughs> I, I can make out with you. Mm-hmm. And but now she's kind of gross. But yeah, like she's she's this like gloppy mud person. He doesn't want to do that. Yeah, which is, it is it's a little tacky, but it's, you know. it is it is. But yeah. whatever. He, he, Quark can't win is basically the gist of it. Mm. Uh, the next episode is a two parter. This is the Flash Gordon episode. It's called All the Emperor's Quasi Norms Part One and Two. Uh, and uh, and this one, uh, Quark is. Captured by an evil emperor named Zorgon. It, it's Ming. It's Ming the Merciless, it, but his he, name he, is Zorgon here. He even wears the same outfit as yeah. Ming the Merciless. Uh, and uh, he's held captive. His entire crew is held captive. And he's told, you know, we, we'll, we'll, we'll kill you unless you tell us where it is. Mm. But they won't tell what, him what it is. What is it? Yeah. That's it? It's what magic. It's it? tragic. It's a loss. It's a win. Thank you. Staffed, it's moist, band. it's a bit of pain. It's sad, <laughs> it's a shit. Sorry. Um, look, the real thing was important to me. The real thing is one of the best <laughs> albums ever, okay? If you've never heard Faith No More is the real thing, just mm. enjoy. Just, yeah. Right for such a treat. Um, but um, in any case, uh, Richard Benjamin, just, you know, every, his people are being, like, they're going to get crushed and like, a crusher machine from, like, Star Wars. Uh they're being tortured. There's a bit where they're going to do like the laser yeah. device from Golden yeah, Eye or Goldfinger, slice, slice them up the middle. Yeah, uh, and this is the episode where we get to see um, pr- pr- Princess Libido and Ficus do their their B bit. Yeah, uh, but Richard Benjamin finally is this like he's like we're going to kill your entire crew unless you yeah. tell us uh, where it is, and he just picks a random place that's far away to buy oh. himself some time, and it turns out that's where it is. That's where it is. <laughs> it's exactly and, where and, it is. And they, they, there's more fantasy elements. They land on this planet. He becomes separated from the Emperor. Mm-hmm. He's found by these, like, Viking characters, mm-hmm. like alien Vikings who are uh, waiting for their own savior to come along, and they call this uh, the savior the Stranger. And, and he's they... telling stories. Yeah, I just told this guy wh- where it was, just kind of randomly. I just picked this planet at random i'm just a stranger and they'll say you're the stranger so like yeah i i like richard benjamin's character i like adam mm. quark yeah or is it alan quark uh, i think it's adam adam quark because yeah, adam. he is completely unassuming yeah he is a, he's put upon he's a little bit of a sad sack but he's not pathetic. No, no, he's he's okay at his job. He's okay at his job. He takes not pride. Amazing, but he takes pride it. in his job. He doesn't like his lot, but mm-hmm. he's at peace with it, and he has no pretensions at, of being a hero. Mm-hmm. Like he has no ambitions to be that. He's just okay being good at his job. When the opportunity... and I appreciate that because that means yeah. there are few moments when his ego gets in the way of the story. And I hate stories like that. Yeah, he's not... Where, he's not, where um, you get to see a character just be a scoundrel until you, he realizes that's not a good way to go. What's the name of the captain of Futurama again? The back... The, 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 oh, uh, Zap Brannigan. Zap Brannigan. He's not Zap Brannigan. Yeah. That's an obvious joke. It's an easy joke. No, he's an everyman, and every once in a while, fate gives him like a heroic moment, mm. and he realizes that he's kind of got lucky. Yeah. Like the whole princess thing, he's like, yeah! <laughs> like that never happens. This is great. And like, then, he he takes action just enough, but where you admire him, but not so much that you see him as like 
a heroic figure. Yeah. And so here he's literally told he's the chosen one. Mm. And they find it and it is like a jewel on a necklace. Yeah. And it's supposed to make him invincible. And he's like, well, geez, I guess I'm invincible. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't work. Uh, uh, the only like thing it does is that it accidentally deflects like a laser beam once. Like yeah, somebody shoots a laser at it and yeah. it bounces off the thing. Yeah. yeah, that's like the most it does, and that's just luck. Uh, so he, even when Zorgon finds out, like oh yeah, it's just a rock. It doesn't really do anything. It's like oh, well, I want it for aesthetic purposes. <laughs> I, I have an artistic side. Um. But yeah, it turns out, uh, you know, Libido falls in love with Ficus, and right when it seems like, uh, you know, everything's gonna... Like, he's actually gonna, like, marry Libido. He's like, eh, whatever, you know, it's what I, people I want. I will do that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, I have agreement. I have, no, I have nothing really emotionally invested in this, but it, it's what everyone wants. I'll do it. Uh, and it's only uh, at the end of the episode, when everyone's, like, running around like chickens with their heads cut off, uh, that Zorgon tries to kill... I forget if it's Quark or Ficus, but he ends up shooting Libido. Hmm. And Libido, she doesn't die, like, she's fr- frozen freezes in place. Freezes her, yeah, like stuns her and she's frozen yeah. in place, like a statue. And he's like, no! And so they arrest Zorgon, and it turns out Libido will be okay. There's like, fr- anti-freezing technology is going, moving along very, very quickly. <laughs> and in a few years, she might be back to normal. Uh, so... I, Which is cute. It's cute. It, like, it's, she, she'll yeah. be okay, but, yeah. you know, but, but not but, not so quickly that we have to worry about yeah. her. Damned inconvenience is what it's going to be, and we we can and Ficus doesn't have to get married and leave the show, which is mm. good. Um, and then yeah, that's 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 the episode mm. basically. And then there's only one episode left. It's called Vanessa thirty eight twenty four thirty six. Mm. Get it? And it's yeah. And this is the ultimate computer. Yeah, the episode of uh, the original yeah. series of Star Trek where a scientist, Professor Daystrom, mm. has invented a computer that he thinks will be able to replace a human crew on a starship because computers are so much smarter, yeah. they have you know faster response time, uh, they can do everything... They automate the, the ship. Yeah, yeah. You can, we don't need humans anymore, we can omit human error, and of course, the computer starts making mistakes, turning on everyone, tries to kill everybody, Kirk has to prove that, you know, humanity... And intuition should, is yeah. important, yeah, all that. Uh, and this is basically that exact same episode. Uh, Quark is given a mission to... But uh, in, in this case, the, the computer has an ego. Yes, quite a big ego. Uh, and uh, it's interesting because like everyone else is like impressed by how much the computer can do. And Quark actually shows like some real canniness and like leadership qualities here where everyone's like giving it like impossible problems to solve and then it solves them. And Quark's like, I have a question for the computer. Do you believe in us? <laughs> like, do you believe in your human crew? Do you have do you have faith in us that we can do our job? And the computer's like, no, you're humans and you make mistakes. And he's like, already we see the problem. Mm. And he, he's not wrong. Mm. Uh, and then it turns out that the computer is trying to actively trick him constantly in order to prove its superiority to the point that it actually like creates like a phantom image of a Gorgon ship that's attacking them. Mm. And Richard Benjamin realizes that it's fake. Through it, he intuits that the, just the computer is that much of an asshole, so he just doesn't do anything while everyone else around him panics. And when it turns out nothing happened, the computer's like, "All right, fair enough." And then he goes to walk his plasmoid out in space, and the computer cuts the line on his spacesuit, and he's flying around. And then uh, it turns into uh, it, it turns into two thousand and one, 
where yeah. they have to like the deliberate spoof to that. Yeah, happen. they have to like how do we like plan to destroy this thing that can see it's everywhere? They all agree to take a shower together, which could have been a lot naughtier than it was. Uh, and then he ends up sending it flying out in space. Uh, and they, uh, cr- like they they pull out the computer module and launch yeah. it out of the the garbage bag. And then that's basically it. That's the show. That mm. was that was that's the end Quark. Of it. That's Quark. Uh, it it's it's a pretty good show. It's okay. Uh, it's, I don't love it, but it's okay. Well, it's not, it's I'll, not... I'll say this. It's pretty good for what I was expecting. Yeah. Because I was expecting something uh, really bawdy, really raunchy, really... Mm-hmm. I, I don't mind an occasional of offensive joke by its construct, but I expected it to be, like, unintentionally offensive. Yeah. And, uh, uh, well, and that pilot really gets us off on a bad yeah, place. The way Gene is treated is not, not classy, the best, not yeah. healthy. There's too many jokes at their expense, and then I, I like that later they got, on they fix it. Which I like is good, they got but, they got yeah. rid of mud and they replaced it with essentially you know just mm-hmm. a Spock knockoff, but it was a wise addition to the show. Um, it could the satire could have been a lot more pointed. Mm-hmm. This is created by Buck Henry. Buck Henry wrote like the Catch Twenty Two movie. Yeah, he knows from satire. Yeah, uh, he co-wrote that movie To Die For, the Gus Van Sant movie. Oh, did he do um, that one? Yeah, yeah he's in one. it okay. as well. Yeah, um, he he did What's Up Doc. You know, he or he's in What's Up Doc. Um, there's, he has a pretty prolific writing well, career. Even Richard um, Benjamin, as I said, he was actually a pretty big star already when yeah. this happened, and he took a massive pay cut just because he wanted to work with Buck Henry, who mm-hmm. I'm just gonna look over their full filmography here. Also, The Graduate. Yeah, they wrote The Graduate. Oh, uh, let's see what we got here. Uh, to Die For. Boom. Let's see what else is uh, impressive. The Day of the Dolphin. <laughs> Yep, that's, uh, yeah, that's one, a thing. One of his last movies was a really uh, an abysmal film called Town and Country. Oh yeah, about rich people cheating on Which each other. Which one of those movies that... that was like in production hell for so long? The budget of it was like insanity. Yeah, like yeah, way. They, they way just too had much. to keep on reshooting and uh, reshooting. He also created a TV show that we've been meaning to cover for a while called Captain Nice, which was a superhero yeah. spoof in the 1960s. Um, so yeah, again, Buck Henry. Kind of a big kind of a deal. Com- comedy legend, really. Yeah. And it uh, feels like this is a show that, like, you can. Th- this could have this could have improved over time. I feel. I feel yeah, like they, I feel like um, just the cast is just finding their groove. They're just figuring mm-hmm. out what jokes work I mean, with the th- characters. This is only eight episodes. Mm-hmm. I guess technically ten because two of them were doubles. Mm-hmm. Or no, nine because one was broadcast as two episodes. It's still, the, no. the pilot is it like a, it's all, a forty-five it, minute. Uh, it's it's a, so there's like eight half hours. It's like four hours of TV. Yeah. And um, I feel like Buck Henry was not like he he knew what he was spoofing. He mm-hmm. knew what was popular in terms of two thousand one and Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what he was sort of refining just over these brief eight episodes was character and scenario. Yeah, he understood how these characters were going to relate to each other. He understood what the structure of these things were. Mm-hmm. Uh, jokes began to build very quickly. Um, when we go back to the space station, yeah. and talk to Palindrome. There's a couple conversations with essentially Cousin It. It's this little furry yeah. thing with eyes. It's called Dink. Yeah, Grink, something like that. Yeah. And um, the the relationship and the conversations with that thing begin to develop over mm-hmm. time. Uh, we re- And it's not just that he's getting used to the status quo, mm-hmm. although that's a big part of it. I think he's actually developing these into much more human, relatable conversations yeah, well, in a way that is actually enriching the people on the show. Well, he's developing the characters so that they become more, you know, more rich, more depth. Mm-hmm. But also, again, you know, this is an ensemble comedy show with a lot of really broadly drawn characters. Uh, over the first batch of episodes, season or two, um, you're figuring out 
who those characters are and how the joke works. Uh-huh. And with the key with a lot of sitcoms is when you have characters who are so well-defined that you could put them in any situation and you know how they're going to respond. Uh, one good example is, is the character of Ned Flanders on The Simpsons. When The Simpsons okay. debuted, Ned Flanders wasn't this like super stick in the mud, ultra Christian, yeah, uh, uh, you know, sort of. He, uh, he, 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 he was actually the joke. Just, the, the joke, joke was, was he was a better neighbor. Yeah, the joke was that he was really well to do, and he, he yeah. was the Joneses. Yeah. That the Simpsons felt that they had to keep up with. Like, he yeah. was wealthier, uh, he just sort of seemingly had a happier family. Yeah. That And Homer Simpson, at the beginning of the show, a- aimed for, like, suburban bliss more than anything. He wanted yeah. to be kind of like a normal family when he... And Flanders represented that. Yeah, His family yeah. was normal in that very conventional way. It was very healthy. Mm-hmm. And then over time, the show realized that's not much of a joke. It's more funny if his idea of normality, Flanders' idea mm-hmm. of normality, it is... becomes more and more abnormal the more we see it. Yeah, the more rigidly Christian he is. And then it becomes like, you know, he's still like a sweet guy. But that comes from a very defined set of parameters. Yeah. Um, the joke, you know, the the, the example I I use a lot is basically like when you like imagine a show that like a lot of people know Frasier, mm. the character of Niles when mm. Frasier is like even snootier brother. <laughs> uh, I was I took a class uh, I took a class in comedy once and um, one of the things they said was, "Here's how you know Niles is a great character. Imagine him at a heavy metal concert." It writes itself. You know yeah. what that whole episode is. Every single thing about it. Every situation. Because you know he's going to respond. Mm. We're, they were just finding that, I think, with a yeah. lot of these characters. And, and, and they did it in only eight episodes. That's good. kind of impressive. It's pretty good. Th- this w- isn't even like a full season of TV. Yeah. I wish it was funnier. Like that's, I wish I didn't laugh. I watch old episodes to get smart, a, and I that get That was exactly good what I was about to bring up. Uh, yeah. th- there's a few laugh out loud bits. Yeah. More than anything, though, it's just affable. Yeah, it's, it's good. Kind of lighthearted. It's good humored without being goodly humorous. Yeah. The, the, the we wait for the B to come. I think is the biggest laugh in the, the whole that, show. That that brought me down. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, that's the funniest fucking thing this whole show has done. That is genius. Mm. Um, I I I gotta tell you, I feel. Well, I, I wasn't. Have, yeah, sorry. Uh, have you seen uh, Red Dwarf? I've seen a little bit of Red Dwarf. Yeah, um, Red Dwarf started also pretty stodgy. The premise yeah. of Red Dwarf is uh, a, an insubordinate lower deck kind of character on this gigantic, like hugely gigantic mining ship. Like there's mm-hmm. a million people on board. Uh, gets put in cryostasis as punishment, uh, and then when he's released, uh, the computer reveals to him that two million years have passed, mm. and everybody's because there was a, like a radiation leak on board and they had to wait for like the half life to. So he's released. Yeah. Two million years have passed. There's a, a cat on the ship that has evolved into a human, mm. and his roommate, who he hates, is the only company the computer is able to sort of re- recreate in a hologram form. Yeah. So those three characters and the computer are now like perhaps the only sentient beings left alive and they have to explore yeah. the galaxy. Yeah, Quark definitely feels like a prototype for uh, for Red Dwarf. Yeah, yeah. And Red Dwarf came after this. Uh, but the first season of Red Dwarf mm. was also really stodgy. It was just about sort of these characters who kind of hate each other and they're trapped on the ship. And as the series went on, it got a lot more adventurous. There was a whole uh, several seasons where they're on like a little scouting ship instead of the Red Dwarf. Uh, and the the relationships they uh, began to develop. They brought new characters on. There's an android yeah. character who becomes a regular. Um, it develops really fast. Yeah. You look at the beginning. It's a little stodgy. Yeah. 
Quirk had a lot of potential. It does. It definitely has potential. So, uh, the, the, yeah. the, I will say this. I, I knew going in, once I saw that Tim Thomerson was in the show, I'm like, okay, Tim Thomerson's character is going to be good. Hmm. I like Richard Benjamin a bit more as a director than I do as an actor, but he's good. Yeah. He's uh, good at an everyman kind of a character. The character I was, the actor I was legitimately surprised by was Richard Kelton, who was really wonderful at playing Ficus. Play, play, yeah. And I was extremely disappointed to find out how, well, how he passed. Yeah. yeah. So Richard Kelton only died like a year after this show. Mm. And he died in a really, really, really just, it, it, it sucks. He was on set making a, 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 I think it was a TV miniseries. Uh, and he was in his trailer uh, at NBC uh, and there was a faulty heater and he died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah, like it sort of, he probably turned on the heater, mm-hmm. took a nap, it was leaking smoke mm-hmm. into his trailer and he suffocated. Yeah, absolutely awful. And made even worse, uh, Universal Studios was held responsible for it. I guess they were producing it. They're, they're, they were fined $720 for, for their not, negligence. Yeah, for, for not updating their heating system. 700 A guy died. A guy died because of their negligence, and they paid $720? Like, even if he wasn't talented, like, this is just a tragedy in any capacity, but this guy was funny. Mm. This guy was really talented. He was clearly going places. He was only, like, 35. Like, it's, it's absolutely maddening. And you look over his, his filmography, he was already in every TV show. Yeah, he was working like constantly. Like the Waltons and Hawaii Five O and Mission Impossible mm-hmm. and the FBI, like in Gunsmoke. Like he was around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's a damn shame. Uh, and I was just really disappointed because I was like, ooh, there's a character actor I didn't know about. I wonder what else he has been in. And he mostly did TV, mm-hmm. and then he died tragically. J- damn it! <laughs> it's it's Voyagers all over again. Ah. Uh, but, um, because the guy from Voyagers yeah, also tragically was, passed away. Uh, even, even, it was, it was it, a, a prop gun yeah. accident with that terrible. time, but yeah. Oh, but God, that guy was handsome and talented. So <laughs> um, anyway, uh, that's Quark. Uh, Whitney, uh, was, mm. I, I have a theory, but mm. uh, was Quark canceled too soon? Quark definitely was canceled too soon. Okay. The, the, it, it's strong enough as is, mm-hmm. and I think it could, it was only going to improve from here. Like, there was a, like I said, there's a lot of potential. Yeah, this was this was going places. Yeah, uh, it it, and I'm relieved that it wasn't like the crass farce that I it kind it, of was always sold it, me. It as. definitely could have been a lot worse. I still mm. think that it had mm. some unfortunate like uh, of its time moments and bits, yeah. but it, a, it, a, uh, a few. Yeah, but like, not as many as you would yeah, think. Not, not as like it's. I'm warning people now that like if you think like. Oh, Bibbs and Whitney say it's surprisingly progressive for its time. For its time. For its Let's time. be a hundred percent clear about this. If, if you just saw this today, you would be like, "Oh, that's not cool." But again, seventies TV not as bad as you might think. <laughs> Deserves a little credit for that, especially after the pilot. The pilot miserable sucked. Doesn't work. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think it definitely had the potential to improve, get stronger, um, and um, yeah, I, I, yeah. Cancel too soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, anyway, that is it for uh, Cancel Too Soon. Uh, we'll be back soon. At some point. Yeah. There will be more critically acclaimed next week. Uh, we'll be reviewing the Marvels and such. But um, Cancel Too Soon will be back. We have a plan. It should be actually mm. relatively, like, maybe within a month or two. We'll have some more Cancel Too Soon for you. Uh, but thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you to all of our patrons. Everyone who listens to all our yesterdays. We hope you appreciate the sort of uh, random crossover episode. 
that we produced uh, based off of a throwaway joke in this week's episode of All Our Yesterdays <laughs> over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. If you want to hear us talk about Star Trek a lot, <laughs> head on over to our Patreon page and start listening to All Our Yesterdays uh, because we, we do like about an hour long episode of Star Trek hmm. podcasting just about every week. Uh, and there's a big back catalog to explore. Um, anyway, uh, we, we're on the social medias. We're at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, if you want to discuss anything we discussed in this episode, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us a physical letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And that is a wrap. We will see you next season. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.